Guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. So this week happening around the world are two really big conferences. One that's been going on for many, many years, decades, is the Cannes Line Festival of Creativity. And a lot of people from the Middle East go there. A lot of brands are recognized for their advertising work as well. Some of the best creative talent in the region uh, win awards at Cannes. And another event, which is only in its second year, is the new creativity. The artists of NFTs uh, is happening in NYC, New York City, NFT. So uh, two big conferences happening at the moment. And I was fortunate enough to attend uh, the camp, the event last night for Fast Company Middle East. Uh, and they had, they were celebrating Creative People in Business Awards. Um, so it got me thinking a lot about creativity in business and they really recognize and acknowledge some of the best creative talents and leadership positions in the UAE uh, last night and uh, such as our guest today comes from uh, the fashion industry but uh, really is all about creativity and how she set up her new brand. Uh, well, I say new, it's four years old but her, her brand on in jewellery is around uh, that kind of creative industry as well. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week we're joined by Priyanka Sarkar. She is the CEO of House of Bury. So they are a contemporary sustainable jewelry brand and they're redefining the market in the UAE while also adapting in the digital age. We're going to hear all about that and how Priyanka started off with the House of Bury, uh, the industry, all about the fashion design jewelry industry, especially here in Dubai. Uh, and you know the trends and sustainability and also their plans for the business in the future. Good morning, Priyanka. Good morning, Richard. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Pleasure is all ours. So tell us a little bit about House of Bury. Uh, well, I think um, being in the corporate side of design and buying for the last uh, 16 years, this is the brand is four years old as we speak, you know, there was this very uh, strong inner calling to get back into the roots and do something which is about giving back. Now, I belong to a lineage of art historians, restoration artists and uh, product uh, specialists who have spent their lives working with craftsmen, working with artisans. And uh, so that whole, uh, I would say that interface with sustainability and sustainable practices and uh, craft has been there from a very start of me bring, growing up. So for me to go back and start something on those lines was, I think, a very natural progression. And um, that's how House of Beauty started four years ago, where it is an evolving contemporary brand. And I'm fortunate that I work with artisans in Eastern Europe, India and Thailand, uh, crafting pieces which are beautifully created with love, involving natural materials, semi-precious stones, uh, with a very value-led, transparent uh, supply chain, um, tight pricing, uh, great designs, and very uh, unique pieces for both men and women. Amazing. Okay, brilliant. So you say this brand and this business is four years old. Yes. And is that you were, 
you're, you were in the, you had a business before that or you're no, in the I, industry? I've been in the industry. It's been like now, this is my 20th year as yeah. we speak. Yeah. And I'm a design person. I'm a design person by training and as a professional and who uh, very quickly moved on to the buying side of the business because I think as an individual, I've always been someone who's very keen to understand the design to sales journey. Uh, hence, I think getting on to the other side of uh, retail was a very, uh, I would say, a very natural uh, uh, shift, which I think was a great blessing in disguise because that allowed me to look into the product right from the point of designing to the point of growing the product to the point of creating point of sales mm. for that particular product. And the journey started with me working in India with some of the top-notch companies, um, took the ladder up as we progressed. And then in 2011 is when I landed in this beautiful city of Dubai. Okay. And since then, there's not been a looking back. It's been amazing here. Worked with some of the best organizations, had some fabulous mentors uh, in the region, both in India as well as in Dubai, and also in US uh, prior coming to Dubai. So yes, it's been a great ride. I think it's been an amazing journey. You've, gone, you've got to see um, every aspect of design. And I think I've been fortunate to travel almost every city that probably thrives in fashion. Yeah. So the exposure and the experience has been um, very, very inspiring. Yeah. And uh, yes, it's been uh, awesome. So when you start, when I thought of doing my own, I think uh, jewelry was a very natural uh, product to come forward because for me personally, it has always been the exclamatory mark in your wardrobe. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I can see you nice seeing the pieces. Today, yeah. Yes, as well. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it, it has that, you know, it, I think jewelry is that little midas touch, which kinds of can probably lift up any, uh, any outfit that you're wearing. So, yeah, I think um, that's where the whole thing came. And somewhere down the line, um, creating that awareness towards sustainable jewelry uh, was something which was a very, uh, it was a very strong calling, Richard, because I, th I personally felt that as much as the customer is willing to understand sustainable fashion in terms of apparel, the whole understanding on jewelry is still a very evolving concept. And we need more people to mm. come forward to, uh, you know, talk about that, celebrate that, embrace that, and get that go all out into the mainframe mm. uh, market. Interesting. Uh, we'll talk a, a lot more about sustainability, and sure. I think you've teed it up quite nicely there. Uh, wh where does the name come from? That's interesting. So Biori is the uh, phonetic, I mean, the full form is B original, where B-I is the phonetic of B-E. Mm. So Hence, it's be original, be Biori. Yeah, okay. Be Biori. You're original. And Priyanka, so you studied in this, you studied fashion design. I studied fashion design, yes. And then you you were looking for a career in this and you you worked across the industry in retail, yes. in fashion design, yes. garments, clothes, yes. retail, yes. and then into the buying side of it. Yes. And how did you navigate that career? Because, you, you know, if you did that for 16 years, you obviously got to understand the industry really well. Right, right. So how did you kind of navigate that? Was it what you um, what you imagined it would be as a wide-eyed student? Did you think <laughs> it was going to be as glamorous as uh, it was? Very, I think, I, I love the word glamour there. <laughs> people who are not in the fashion industry, they always um, kind of think that fashion is all about glamour. Yes, there is that touch of bling in that uh, occupation but there is a lot more into it which is a lot of hard work which is a lot of resilience and um, it is not an easy industry to be with because you uh, 
have to constantly upgrade your skills. You need to be constantly upgrading yourself in terms of your uh, know-how, in terms of your uh, exposure, in terms of your knowledge, because you know, you're in an industry which is ever-changing. You know, and it's an industry which is very consumer-led. So any economic downturn, it will have a direct impact on retail. Any emotional upheavals, it will have an impact on retail. So there is a constant engagement that people in the fashion industry, they need to have with their, uh, uh, with their surroundings. Uh, coming to the other part of your question, did I envisage all of this while I was in college? Uh, to an extent, yes. To an extent, no. Uh, yes. Why? Because I always knew that I will come up with my own identity in terms of a label, which I think is a very natural desire that anybody who's a design enthusiast or a design student uh, wants to be into. When I would do that, that was something that I was not clear. But I, what I was clear was that I need to be able to gauge all the necessary knowledge and experience that is needed before I set on that entrepreneurial journey. Mm. Because um, when you are in uh, on the other side of the table, which is where you are working for somebody else, you know, your rules are very well laid out. You're given, whether it's a boxless, boxless environment or whether you are working uh, within a certain box, there is there are territories that are earmarked for you. Whereas when you come onto the entrepreneurial side of the business, it's all about you. Mm. You know, there, there are no territories marked. And uh, it's good and it's bad. Bad from the point that if you don't know the other sides or the other aspects, uh, it can take you haywire. So that clarity was there in me somewhere. I think somewhere as an individual, I've, I always try and know what I don't know. And I acknowledge that. And accordingly, I changed my ways and mend my ways rather. So yes, it's it was a very natural um, progression, rather, yeah, a very natural flow of keeping that decision of starting your own on the side burner for a while, till I felt that okay, you know, uh, I'm ready. And honestly, I think I would have not been ready four years ago as well, uh, okay. because. Uh, but you started it four years ago. Four years ago, because yeah. the comfort that you get when you're on the other side of leading a team, having the best of the things under your feet, you know, everything is given to you in a platter. All you're doing is you're performing and you're being aggressive about it. It has its own high, you know, it has its own uh, way of making you look at things. When you take this other side of the table, which is where you need to leave all of that and start from ground zero, I think it takes a lot of courage. But mm. uh, yeah, I have, I've been fortunate i've had a great support system and some interesting rude awakenings <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> which kind of pushed the beta and said okay now girl <sighs> get going <laughs> and how did you make the jump so the aspiration was there to have your own label uh and obviously with that sort of duration of a career uh, you mightn't have the confidence or the belief that you know everything, but you kind of do, right? You've yes. seen all sides of an industry. You've right. seen the design size, the sales size, the buying side. You've traveled. You're not right. intimidated that by other markets. You kind of know that you've got this, Correct. but still, uh, still, you have to take the plunge. You have to leave the security of a yes. of a regular income. Yes. And how did you approach that? Honestly, it was, I think, a very emotionally overwhelming experience uh, because before taking the plunge, I think as a career, uh, it's been a it's been a fantastic innings. I've been really lucky, have had a fantastic time on the corporate side, worked with some of the best ones. So I think somewhere down the line, that comfort had kind of 
probably laid some seeds of complacency in terms of being very, you know, you're very comfort in your space or where you are. And um, work-life balance uh, had gone over the roof. I would not be uh, not honest about it because buying as a career is a very demanding line. And, and the higher you rise the ladder, the more demanding it becomes. Uh, where, you know, you're traveling 267 days in a year and you're literally living out of suitcases and airports. It's not an easy ride. As much as it is creatively satisfying, it does take a toll on you. And I think I was at a phase where it was taking a toll on me. And I wanted to kind of uh, get into a phase where I could probably do a little bit of a better work-life balance and a better, uh, I would say, a better justice to my own creative calling. So this, there was this urge of doing things that I would want to do in the way I would want to take it forward vis-a-vis -vis what I was doing under a given guideline or under a given uh, uh, SOP, let's mm. put it that way. So, yes, and I think that's something which kind of really pushed uh, to take it forward. And, you know, there's not a, you can't really pinpoint and say, was that the day that it happened? I think there were certain alarms on the health side which kind of triggered the decision-making faster where I was like, okay, you know, I have to kind of take that step down. I have to uh, get a time off. I have to get back into what I do best, which is uh, getting back to my own roots. It's an interesting commentary of the industry you were in, given the demands of the travel, because it is it full is, on, indeed. right? Whether it's not the fashion shows, you have to go on buying trips, you have right. to go to factories, you right. have to look at things all the time. Right. And it's interesting that you put it that way because some people in a corporate are kind of nine to sixers and then right. it's the opposite. If they do a startup, that's when the work-life balance becomes difficult right. because the work-life balance in the startup is non-existent. You're, you have to do everything yourself, it's always on. And, and things like that. But given the industry that you were in, you had more control when you did it yourself. Right. Um, and how did you do it financially? Did you raise funds? Did you have a business plan? Did you, how did you kind of, you know, approach this? Did you, did you, you know, and what does it entail to launch a jewelry brand investment wise? You know, do you, can you, how do you manufacture the products and things like that? Wow, that's a lot of questions. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Let's <laughs> just narrow. I, I mean, I'll try yeah. and break it into okay. parts and answer. If I'm missing out on something, let me know, Richard. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, in terms of funding, the see one thing I was very clear that uh, because it's a risk that I am taking, I wanted to take that risk all on myself, rather than being answerable to anybody else's uh, funds. Which means there was no piggy banking that was involved in my thought process. Uh, it works for a lot of people for whom it works great. For me, uh, it was a very conscious decision of taking my own line of control. And it would have only happened if I was financially independent from the start. So the initial investment was my own investment. Uh, so whatever savings I had with reference to the money that I garnered over my corporate years, a major chunk of it is went into starting. I wanted to get the groundwork right, which means uh, all the fundamental deliverables of whether it's your trademark, whether it's your legal, whether it's your uh, setting up. And that way, you know, we are blessed to be in a country like UAE where the rules are very clear. It's very transparent. It's very well laid out. If you go by the rules, everything happens to you at a certain designated time period. So it was easy from that point of view of uh, it was not cumbersome. It was not very, um, it wasn't confusing. 
and uh, that's how the thing started in terms of the germinating of the brand and what followed is history in terms of the route that we take in terms mm. of the path that we took one uh, experience led to the other one learning led to the other and i think uh, the whole uh, experience of entrepreneurship is more like a i uh, personally i would say it's more like a route to self discovery where you are constantly learning unlearning relearning and that's i think that's the most beautiful part of uh, being on this side where every day is a new day mm. you, you know and there are mad days there are good days there are uh, exceptional days but there's not a boring day ever so so the funding coming back to that question yes it is um, a self funded uh, enterprise it still remains to be a sole proprietary uh, do i intend to bring in investors or partners on board honestly yes as long as they understand and have the appetite towards uh, craftsmanship design led product identities as long as they understand the the pain that one has to go through when you're establishing a brand versus looking at it only from a business point of view because these two are two completely different journeys for me uh, building a brand is something that i'm focusing on and uh, business will come through it is always something that follows you through if your fundamentals are right and at this stage i am building the fundamentals and i would like to do it uh, the way it is supposed to be done rather than making any commercial compromises because the moment i think you bring in a second or a third party and you bring in more ears and eyes uh, you would need to start taking decisions which are more quantifiable roi led whereas for me at this stage the where the brand is there has to be a covalent mix of uh, a qualitative as well as a quantitative roi because you are trying to build a sustainable jewelry brand in a region that thrives on options which starts from something very cheap and cheerful to something very exclusive so finding that space for yourself in that uh, market is not an easy task but uh, and it requires a lot of sustained uh, steps at various stages mm. to ensure that the brand stays where it is and i think at this stage it's nice to keep it tight mm. you know rather than uh, expand the hands and get into too many commitments and deliverables interesting but i think uh, thanks for answering that because I, i think we get a sense of of how you've approached hasapuri and uh what i was getting at was people don't necessarily think of how do you set up a jewelry brand and we might see examples of influencers with jewelry lines but that is often backed by uh a brand it's often backed by factories it's often backed by designers etc uh and then we see fashion labels launched by career type mm. uh designers and they launch a fashion label and then i wonder what goes into it or mm. or in, in in terms of what investment is needed mm. and then i try and relate that to the day that we're interesting in an intro we talked about digital but the modern day we're in now how much of what you might have needed before can be replaced right. with partnerships with digital with e-commerce and things right. like that right. like for example you know with hasapuri do you need uh do you need a, a store 
do you need mm. a store in a mall? Probably not, right? Not right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you don't I'm need. I'm glad you're already getting that. <laughs> but right, right. So I think that, that from that point of view, yes. you don't need that. Twenty years ago, you needed a store, right? Or you needed to be distribution partners, right? So how do you like? So you know, building it organically, I get from your answer, but again, like, what are the decisions that you're making? versus what's what are the tools available to you as well like do, you know how where do you manufacture the okay. jewelry yeah so see uh, with beauty anything that you don't like i would say i'm the one to be blamed for okay. starters <laughs> anything you like uh, it's always my artisans because they are the real heroes the process in so beauty uh, the whole it's a very design led process yeah. that we follow so right from the research part of the brand in terms of where we research the trends, we research on various aspects on the trends, to putting the designs on the design board, to working with the artisans directly on converting those designs into technical sheets, then from there it gets onto the whole process of molding, then from molding it gets onto CADs. So there are various technical interim stages before you actually see that product as a 3D form from a sketch. So that's one side, which is the entire design interface. And in that entire process, we keep the communication channel very transparent. We do not keep any middlemen involved. There are no um, you know, commission-led work that's happening. It is a very direct relationship between the designer, which in this case is me, with my artisans, uh, who are based in these three different parts of the world, as I shared earlier. So the equation is very personal. It is very close to heart. Okay. And uh, yeah. that's one aspect. On the other side, in terms of the distribution of the brand, the brand, Richard, thrives on exclusivity. Uh, one of the most, um, one of the strongest USPs of the brand is that it is not seen everywhere, which means it is not something that is uh, available to anybody walking around the street. Does that uh, make a difference uh, or am I saying that I don't want sustainability to be reaching out to the common man? No, that's not the point. The point here is to connect with the kind of audience who really, truly have an appetite of appreciating design-led craftsmanship. The brand is very high on aesthetics, Richard. So what happens is even if the pricing, say, for a piece on an average, even if it's, say, a 200 dirhams, the aesthetic attribute of it is at a different platform altogether. You need a certain kind of mindset. You need a certain kind of personality who would be able to connect with that. And for me, it's very important whom am I selling to rather than how many pieces am I selling. Mm. So that is a constant, uh, I would say, jugglery that happens on a day-to-day -day basis. The kind of places that the brand is, for example, we are stationed with House of uh, with Indigo Hotel, or we are there with the Dubai Creek, uh, you know, the, the Park uh, Hotel. Now these are places where the kind of population who gets onto these hotels, like Indigo Hotel, in, in itself is the first sustainable hotel in UAE, and everything in that place talks about design, talks about being eclectic, and I think a perfect platform for a brand like us. Even for that matter, the Park Hotel uh, at the Dubai Creek, which is, again, uh, it thrives on people who are golfers. So, again, golf is a very finer sport that people connect with. So every positioning of the brand or the kind of spas that we are into or the kind of uh, multi-designer curated stores that we are into, they're all very differentiated. You know, they may not be the mainframe, multi-branded international design stores that the world reckons with. 
and honestly i'm happy in that little space because it reaches to the right audience mm, who understands that piece who understands what goes on because every piece in beauty is a hero mm. you know every piece has its own story which is uh, connected to its metal to its material to its origin uh, there is a nice organic flow to the stones that we work with we don't chop chip uh, you know polish or cut them and make them all look cookie cut pieces so organically each piece is different you may have the same design but the design may have certain irregularities which is something that we celebrate in the brand so it is something which is very high on design sensibility so and it's important that i keep that constant so for me every positioning every new positioning every new spot that i pick up for the brand beat the platforms on which i'm communicating like today i'm with you a perfect platform to take the story forward because you guys are known for your differentiated uh, anchoring and and a very differentiated uh, platform that you bring forward makes perfect uh, synergy for the brand to be thriving on yeah interesting i get more of a feel of how you're creating the brand and what it stands for as well let's talk a little bit more about the the sustainability part sure. of the uh, so we, you know, people can maybe have an understanding of sustainable fashion, right? In in how they're produced and the emissions and and the garments and the materials and what is used to go into it and plastic and and things like that that isn't that shouldn't be used. But in terms of jewelry, right? Uh, metal, I assume. Maybe I'm naive. Uh, you know, types of materials for jewelry are more sustainable anyway than. Uh, clothing is that right <laughs> that's interesting actually uh, you know metal mining is one of the uh, most uh, i would say one of the most toxic pollutants in the environment wow, okay. if it's not done rightfully and there is a whole lot of work that the luxury fine jewelry brands be it a busheron or a shopard or uh, even a bulgari is putting into in the getting this workmanship right globally and uh, and we at our end you know the, the little brands we are trying to kind of take the bait and forward by working for starters working with cold metals as in cold metals metals which are ethically mined ethically sourced um, which do not have any hazardous effects on the environment like the silver and the gold and the brass for that matter consciously we stay away from the cheap and cheerful metals uh, would not want to name them because a lot of jewelry brands thrive on that um and uh, that's one second is the choice are the cheap and cheerful metals um environmentally worse they're environmentally worse they're hazardous they are way more uh, hazardous than picking up plastic bags and using plastic bags and throwing them in the ocean in what way uh they a they cannot be recycled for yeah. starters and the over a period of time the the erosion it creates harmful gases mm. and that is uh, way more um, way way more harmful than the carbon dioxide that one is seeing uh, thriving around uh that so that metal technically should be either consumed in really uh, controlled quantities or should be probably in my opinion completely banned in terms of bringing it on jewelry because mm. see jewelry uh, as an industry it thrives on impulse buys because you never go ju buying jewelry out of a need mm. you know it is more of an emotional connect or uh, it's more on an impulse there 
it's important that over in, that people understand the importance of buying less but buying good quality well made jewelry with the right metal rather than picking up these cheap and cheerful bling pieces which looks good today and after 2 months they just wear off they rust away and what do you do you just kind of junk them out either you throw them away or you kind of break them into pieces you know everybody does their own thing but end of the day it doesn't do any anything good to the environment it just becomes a part of the dumping ground and way more hazardous than anything else uh, so yeah metal toxins does play a a very vital role which metals did you choose and for what reasons so i work with silver and brass they are, they are essentially cold metals cold pressed metals where they are uh, sourced rightfully there are no uh, unethical mining that is involved in these two metals or in their processes uh, even gold is great technically at this stage i don't work with gold uh, but again gold mining in itself is an area which is quite controversial mm. uh, i'm sure you would have uh, read various articles on that it's still a it's still an industry that is going through change of uh, processes uh being said that silver and brass is still a way more safer and a way more um conducive to the environment if you see the sustainable brands worldwide most of the brands they thrive on silver as one of their mm. chosen materials because it's a cold metal which means it is a metal which is uh good to your body good to your uh, soul good to the environment mm. and it's it's a great platform and a great canvas for the designers to work on interesting so let's talk, segue a little bit into the industry and on that point of sustainability what what do you think you've been in dubai for around 11, 11 years. years yeah yes. and so what do you think of the uh how the city has evolved around the consumer awareness of sustainable products do you think it's changed in that time very interestingly it has indeed i think uh, you know for starters we are fortunate to be in a region like ua which has more than i would say 200 nationalities and it's an ever transient population so that makes the consumer very agile very aware uh and the consumer now especially post covid is way more uh, wary of the purchases they make they they are way more uh, adaptive towards brands that they relate to and i think over the years the whole um, the whole necessity or the whole uh, i would say the inclination towards picking up uh, brands out of sustainable choices is something that has really picked up and it's also got to do a lot with how the government has taken this forward be it doing the entire sustainability pavilion in expo where it literally opened to the world what can be done in that uh, segment to mm. doing holding summits and webinars and forums in the past prior to expo to kind of giving that added impetus to women entrepreneurs and anybody who would want to come forward with a sustainable project and i think it's got to do a lot from that leadership where when the leader itself is trying to push the audience and then there are many brands in the region who have also consciously worked towards changing their philosophies and changing their hands towards how they are making the product and how they are communicating the product be it the local design uh, players who are there in the region who initially were typically fast fashion brands and now we know there's a conscious effort of mm. changing that game towards sustainability to international players like in the fast fashion categories like the H&M and Zara and why i am taking uh, considering fast fashion because that itself is one of the largest quadrant of uh, segment that the audience here in dubai buys mm. 
as compared to the luxury part. And luxury also has gone through a lot of sustainable uh, practices and changes. Mm. Uh, the whole uh, influx of lab-created diamonds and the whole communication of that on various platforms. So I think a lot of forces are coming together uh, in general to create that awareness. Now government's whole initiative of banning plastic bags and uh, pushing everybody to get onto reusable bags. Again, you know, it's something where there's a constant uh, effort that is being instilled or that is being tried to be instilled in the normal uh, average consumer to look at things uh, more qualitative mm. rather than just picking up things on a use and throw basis. Mm. So yes, there's been a great uh, shift and uh, I think post-COVID, the shift has been um, a lot more conscious where people do, I think, uh, understand the need of buying less but buying good so that they are able to carry that forward over a longer period of time. And that's where uh, well-made uh, crafted pieces, whether it's in jewelry or it's in clothing or it's in home or home accents, it plays an important role. In your experience, is the shift uh, to more sustainable fashion design and jewelry design driven by consumer demand or is it driven by industry professionals like yourself who understand the process and are doing it from within? I think it's a blend of both, Richard. Uh, somewhere down the line, I think the average consumer also understands uh, or has rather started to understand of going back to basics and staying uh, in an environment which is more simpler and more manageable by self uh, I think COVID has been an amazing, uh, I would say, an amazing teacher on that front where uh, everybody was reduced to be looking at after themselves, all by themselves. So in an environment like that, you know, it's important that you connect with your basics. So that's one aspect which I think has played a very important role because you suddenly do see a, a huge rise in sustainable brands post-COVID, you know, in all aspects of the business. Mm, and the true. whole reason being is because that uh, that that strong urge of going back to basics, that strong urge of getting looking back onto your wardrobe and seeing what you have and trying to bring that forward with a sense of newness, with a sense of, you know, a little touch here and a little touch there. I think that is bringing back that whole, uh, rather not bringing back, rather it's pushing forward uh, sustainable practices. You would now see a lot more secondhand, uh, hand-me-down luxury uh, closet environments where people would want to barter or would want to engage in secondhand products because they want to buy conscious. They want to um, encourage in in shopping consciously and, and shopping local and mm. shopping and supporting small businesses. So I think that's one aspect. And the other side, yes, Individuals like us and, and more powerful individuals uh, are coming forward with their own uh, endeavors and their own efforts in shifting the baton towards more uh, conscious, sustainable, uh, ethical consumerism-led practices. Mm, interesting. Uh, good to know. And just uh, kind of segueing a little bit onto jewelry and the city right uh dubai is well known for gold souks it's well known for <laughs> tourists it's well known Indeed. for a lot of purchasing of right. jewelry and there's also a huge commodities free zone here right which does a lot with diamonds trade right. and things like that the dmcc um what's your view of that as dubai being a uh not a jewelry hub but essentially uh, a kind of capital for uh, trading of jewelry and commodities and things like that. 
I think uh, it's an amazing platform because uh, the again Dubai being a city which thrives on so many uh, different kinds of uh, population it also brings in different kinds of craftsmanship yeah that is available and different qualities of gold from worldwide so it kind of becomes the perfect pitch platform for anybody who wants to do something in that category and uh, create that buzz out because uh, where else in rather which other part of the world will you have 200 nationalities having an opinion about your uh, work if it is presented in the right forum that's only something that is available in a city like dubai does you, do you think it gives uh, someone like you who's created a jewelry brand in a city like this credibility for example if i created a watch uh in switzerland it might help <laughs> right is is there something to that with jewelry in dubai in the city of bling in the city of gold see i think if i was dealing with uh, gold as my metal like if i was dealing with fine jewelry then i think my answer would have been a little more tweaked <laughs> <laughs> i don't deal with gold jewelry i deal with silver and brass with semi precious stones and yeah. that's a range that you essentially operate on silver and brass because you're not working with diamonds you're working with other semi precious stones and yeah. those are the kind of stones that you essentially work on silver and brass and uh, there is definitely a very strong appetite for something like that and thankfully for these kind of stones or for this sort of making you don't really have a designated uh, city in the world that you would say oh that city this sort of jewelry happens very well yes there would be cities in the world which would be known for a certain kind of stone like if you're going to a singapore you would want to come back with a nice jade or if you're going to an austria would want to come back with a nice tourmaline or if you're going to a prague you would want to come back with a nice uh, opal they're individual stones with individual cities that they thrive on but Good when it knowledge. comes to <laughs> but when it comes to knowing uh, is there a city or a country in the world where you are which is known for doing beautiful semi precious stone jewelry no mm. but there are pockets there like for example the indian jewelers they are known for their workmanship and craftsmanship with bigger chunkier pieces or more finer pieces in gold and other metals then there's thailand then there is uh, the eastern europe side then there is a singapore then there is korean jewelry so but each country has their own unique footprint has their own unique signature and um, dubai becomes the perfect pitch platform because you are able to if the need be you are able to bring in pieces from these parts of the world and uh, showcase them guilt free or if the need be you can travel out to these parts and create your own base and then work as per your own music and uh, your own melody brilliant it's interesting but having said that you know i th i'm thinking of a well known jewelry brand that's from dubai i think it's from dubai damas yes uh jewelry and it there is pedigree there is precedent i guess for building a jewelry brand out of here you know it's it is possible to do it's not like hey that's the desert they can't make jewelry right. like they they you can create a jewelry brand here it's not totally unusual and uh is that your view you know you choose to sort of set it up here as opposed to uh your homeland maybe yes and would would that be to sort of align with that creativity and craftsmanship of the city absolutely and absolutely because for me uh when i started uh, yes you are right i would have always had an option of going back to my homeland and doing something there but the whole idea was to bring it into an audience uh, which is more transient and which is uh, because for me it was more like dubai was more like a 
litmus test platform of trying to bring out a new concept in an evolving segment like sustainable jewelry for an audience that is ever changing you know and uh, the the good part is there is no set culture or heritage that the city comes out with in dubai because there's so much of a transient influx of population so when you don't really have a very strong yes there's a very strong middle eastern heritage um, which is which resides in various parts in the in the country but there is also a side which is ever changing and that ever changing uh, brings in a lot of fluidity you know in terms of their uh, choices in terms of what they would like to see that's where brands like us i think it's it's a great platform because you are able to test the waters in a very small uh, pot across uh, i would say various takers whereas on the other hand if i had to do something like this in my homeland my homeland has its own very strong cultural heritage which also comes with its very strong yes and no's and it would take a while for me to first a blend into those yes and no's then create your space then bring out something not saying it's not doable it is very doable but i think it is a more time consuming and a more patience consuming exercise uh vis-a-vis -vis doing something like that uh in a city like dubai where it is very um it is very pro doing things on your own i mean the government supports you uh, uh, when you want to pick up either it as a side hustle or you want to go all out uh, you know like look at this place every second corner has a free zone i mean which all which other part of the world will you get something like this yeah so i think that kinds of makes it uh, um, way more easier mm. uh and uh, way more i would say entrepreneurial friendly if mm. i am used to allow that yeah. <laughs> quote and uh, and yeah give wings to your uh, dreams interesting it makes sense why you've chosen to do it here given the focus of the brand and the positioning yes yes uh on all sides uh and what does that say about what's next what does that you know does that sort of say uh i you know many people on this show they look at dubai sometimes as it's big enough it's in the uae the economy is big enough here the audience is big enough and then some people think of regional uh focus so entering neighboring markets and other people think of well i'm going to make an app and this app mm -hmm. can be international and it doesn't matter if it's set up in silicon valley or dubai like D dubai to the world sort of approach what's your thinking what's your vision <laughs> interesting so so far uh, i mean to answer the question on the digital side yes the brand we do have our own digital footprint with which we ship worldwide in terms of the brick and mortar the brand is there in singapore bahrain london uh, in my hometown and in dubai oh wow already yes in the select um, multi curated which outfits. is your hometown uh, in india Mumbai uh, Mumbai uh, is where the brand is thriving apart from that uh, in terms of how do we take where would i want to take the brand forward next a is on other tpa as in other third party aggregator marketplace platforms the right ones where you where they have the appetite for sustainable uh, brands what are some good 
So probably, what are some marketplaces for jewelry that we should know I about? I would uh, say hands down uh, Net-a-Porter because they have a whole section called Net Sustain. I am waiting nice. for that day when they would knock the door and say, you know what, That's are you House goal. of Glory? Please yeah. come on board because we have an appetite. And if they're listening to this show, please, Richard Priyanka, has my details. Let them, let them come to you. <laughs> they will, they will, I'm sure. Farfetch is another platform. Yeah. Where they are doing a lot of work on sustainable brands. Unas is done doing some fantastic work. Yes, again, a great platform to be into. Guys, if you're listening, please come forward. Um, so one is that, getting into these digital formats. Second is uh, expanding your roots into the other cities, other countries within GCC. Because I think, uh, again, the appetite here in terms of understanding sustainable-led uh, brands, I think, is an evolving uh, appetite. So because it's an evolving appetite, it has a lot of uh, capability of consuming newness mm. rather than getting into a market which is already saturated with many more players like this. Mm. So I think, and it's exciting because the city is ever-changing. Uh, GCC on the whole is uh, ever-changing. There are a lot of what volatilities as we speak about. Yeah. But keeping that aside, I think there is definitely a very... Uh, big scope of mm. uh, expanding and that's precisely what we would uh, love to do over the period of time yes getting onto the metaverse environment with probably some uh, some characters who would want to adorn jewelry why not we yeah. could get a full jewelry led costume done for them yeah. so that's another thing that explore is, digital thing yes, trends because, more yeah yeah because my son is very pro <laughs> ai yeah. so yeah that's one thing that i would love to see uh, give if everything works right to yeah. getting into that environment because i think that whole aspect of staying digitally agile is very important yeah. because that is the tone that is going to stay for a long time now yeah so you cannot not engage with that tone totally agree and yeah. but yes i would whatever said and done it needs to remain purpose driven mm. it needs to remain um, content driven i at any point of time would not want to uproot uh, or change the basics of the brand. Uh, the brand thrives on forward thinking, team spirit, respect, craftsmanship and quality. And I would want to keep that constant uh, no matter what uh, medium or what mode of communication that we choose to thrive on. Excellent. Brilliant. I was uh, I was going to ask another question, but that would have been a nice one to finish on. But <laughs> let, let's um, let's ask a little bit about sort of the macroeconomic. Sure. You've already survived and got through a pandemic. Right. <laughs> and now we're on the other side of that, hopefully. Uh, generally, you know, we're in a we're in a city in the Middle East. Right. And the Middle East is often spoken of as an emerging market. Right. And you know, India, a country that you're from, was used to be spoken about as an emerging market, one of the BRIC, one of the mm. uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and two of them emerged. Right. India and China emerged as markets. Like the, the Indian market is, is massive now. There's emerging right. middle class. There's so many things that have really evolved in that economy. Right. Thriving Absolutely. economy, GDP growth is really high. But two of the others didn't. And what what was... You know, we're in Dubai and we, we see the economy growing here. But what's your view on that spilling over and that sort of that creativity and that business environment across the Middle East? Uh, and will it be a market that emerges like India? 
Uh, see, given the uh, absolute dynamics in terms of the size and scale of India versus UAE, there will always be a difference because uh, UAE is not even a fraction in terms of the basic size that we're talking versus India. Uh, so that difference is always going to stay. But I mean, so, okay, but the 22 Arab League countries are 300, 400 million people, one, four, one third of the size of India. Right. So maybe not as big, no one's <laughs> as big as India, <laughs> kind of, I think. But uh, but yeah, but do you see what I mean on the yes, sort of region? But because it's big and because it's a democratic, uh, it will have its share of uncertainties. It True. will have its share of... Uh, you know, the various um, political turmoils and the economic uh, uh, diversities that one keeps seeing in that country, vis-a-vis -vis in a more controlled environment like um, the GCC or the Arab in specific, where uh, the rules are very well laid out, you know. So when the rules are very well laid out, uh, there is definitely the clarity in terms of how to take things forward. And our leader is an absolute visionary. I mean, uh, what Sheikh has done, I don't think anybody in the world would have thought of doing it in such a short span of time. True. So from that aspect, I think the road to uh, success or the road to a magnum opus success probably would be easier as compared to India as a market because for, in, for India to pick up anything and make it happen at the national level, there are a lot of internal battles that the country first need to deal with before it gets on to the external side. Mm. And unfortunately, fortunately, that remains the story uh, of that country. So in bits and pieces, there are some amazing work that the country is doing. We have some of the most amazing talents from the country who's ruling the world uh, in various pockets. But at the same time, there are these uncertainties and there are these uh, you know, dualities of decisions which does take the focus a little off from where it should be mm. on the other hand in this region there is no uh, i would say confusion on focus for starters to the because it's small it's tight and because it's tight execution is faster and because execution is faster decision making is faster so it all kinds of you know the speed at which this place is growing or this place will continue to grow. I don't think it's a fair comparison to do that with India. <laughs> fair enough. But you're, optim you're, you're optimistic about this region. You absolutely, think it's, yeah. absolutely. I mean, uh, a lot of people say that, yes, you're living in a bubble. Uh, you know, that's one of my <laughs> most favorite comments that we probably, you know, when I'm sure when you are with your friends and back in your <laughs> hometown, they would have that. Oh, you're living in Dubai. Yeah. You know, it's, Everything is well laid to you. But yeah. uh, um, I think to remain in that so-called bubble also takes a lot of courage and takes a lot of consistent amount of efforts and work and needs a, needs a huge amount of forward thinking, which I think is something that the government is constantly doing. And it is, it is people pro. Yes, there are, it has its own restrictions. It has its own, you know, for some people, this could be a disadvantage. But then... If you are able to go by the rule book, I think you're uh, pretty sustained. And now with the whole thing of golden visa and um, letting people come and open up their business boards in the country, allowing everybody and anybody to come forward and pitch their idea and you know invest in the place, 
it's great because it's going to be a continuous cycle of progress uh, the challenge or rather the only flip side of it is would be the the choices that one will make in uh, letting whom to sustain and whom not to sustain but yeah. uh, yes i think it will always it's it's going to stay the way i think uh, we are right now where it, it's it the appetite towards uh, innovation stays constant and progress brilliant well thank you for sharing your thoughts this morning priyanka loved hearing about house bury and we'll so check much. it out online on instagram has a B I O R I. Yes, on Instagram it is at the rate the Biori. Yeah. Uh, which is where you can uh, reach me out, uh, drop me a line, um, connect with me. My personal uh, page is also there. If there is anything you want to know about this quirky, flawed yeah. designer, please give me a shout out on that page. Amazing. Well, really pleasure there. speaking to you this morning. Likewise. Thanks a lot for sharing, and we'll follow in future. Thank you so much. Cool. As another great Dubai business story or a startup that's trying its best to fit in with the city and fit in with the new trends. Um, I found it really interesting about the sustainability aspect um, that, you know, we often think of uh, sustainability in fashion is the, the big companies need to do a lot better with retail and with clothing. But of course, it can be other parts of fashion as well. especially jewelry uh so thanks for to priyanka for sharing that and do uh have a look out wherever you're um in any of the places she mentioned or online uh, and see if you like their jewelry as well uh thank you to ali who uh produced the show today and radwa uh get well soon to shahir who's on leave uh today and we'll be back next week for another episode we do have these episodes lined up uh, eight to ten weeks in advance and as we go live on Uh, Friday mornings at 11 even if they're booked in advance if there is a cancellation last minute as happens last week we often don't have someone to stand in so we miss a week and we don't like missing weeks because we've been going non-stop since 2019 this is episode 173 and we don't really really don't like missing weeks but generally people don't cancel last minute uh, so pointing at no one in particular but just a reminder that uh, we like to bring a new episode to you guys every week and Uh, in the summer months, people are traveling and it's hard, as, hard to kind of keep that frequency up, but we won't take a summer break and we don't take a winter break and we will be here every Friday. You can catch it on smashy.tv uh, on, online and any of the apps. It's on more and more smart TVs these days, Apple TV, Sony, and of course the uh, apps as well. We've a lot of exciting things coming soon on Smashy over the summer. And if you like this show, there's similar shows to this. There's conversations with Lulu, Uh, there's Business is Personal uh, with Cory Block, uh, with Dr. Cory Block. And there's also Hala Bassam with uh, Techbill Arabi. And she's a lot of good of the good Arab uh, startup founders on her show as well. Uh, thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week.